Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bear Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The problem with movies in general is that everybody sort of has low expectations of them. You know, what do you want to do? I don't know. Nothing. Want to go to a movie? I mean, so that's sort of, that's where we are, right? And we don't even plan to go to a movie. We just go, something will be planned. There's 16 screens. We have to find something. The Science of Happiness. Appreciating Modern Painting. Dilemmas of Modern Medicine. Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. The History of Jazz. The Artistic Genius of Michelangelo. When Intuition Fails. Turning Points that Changed American History. The Psychology of Religion. The Genius of Mozart. The Future of Humans. One Day University. The most acclaimed and popular professors from top colleges, their best lectures, fascinating conversations. Hi, I'm Richard Davies. Let's learn. And so this is sort of the climate today. This is the digital age, right, where we just seem to have so many choices. My name is Mark Lapadula. I teach at Yale University in the Film and Media Studies program. Today is Films That Changed America. There was something about the films of yesteryear that I think it's really worth, and I tell my students, to go back and re-examine them. What is our relationship with, with movies? How has that changed over years? You know, movies do tend to reflect the time in which they're made. And the best movies actually become mirrors of the world and help us to better see the world we're, we're sort of embroiled in. Sometimes we don't see as clearly as we'd like to. A movie can somehow, you know, open up a, a window and it gives you a view and you then can sort of better assess, you know, sort of what's going on. Are there like abrupt or dramatic changes that have taken place to the way we look at movies? I'm thinking very much at how a lot of people consume movies, not in movie theaters anymore, but on smaller screens and sometimes very small screens. There's sort of been a diminishment ever since the movie palaces started to close down. In those days, you know, you wanted to get out of your cold water flat in Brooklyn. You know, might have been the Great Depression. In the 1930s, about 90 million tickets per week on average were sold. 
people just wanted to escape. They wanted to go to a place where there were comfortable seats to watch the movie and with the velvet draperies that would part and the curtains that would open, they would just have an experience that was, it was a special event. They got dressed up to go there. We don't really do that today at no, all. No. Right? I mean, if you do see people in the movie theater, if you even are in the movie theater, we kind of look like we just rolled out of bed. We're still in a sort, some sort of form of our pajamas. So let's go back in time and talk about the first film on your list, which is The Jazz Singer. And that movie was the first talkie, right? Well, it wasn't really the first talkie. What is surprising to people when they actually see The Jazz Singer? It's one of those movies that you feel, you know enough about, I need to see it, I know all about it. Um, it's a silent film, except that in six scenes, it has the miracle of sound. Six scenes, not many. It is credited with being the first feature-length film to have sound, but it's not the first full-fledged talkie. In fact, there were shorts that were made that were talkies even before The Jazz Singer. This was the first feature film. Now, what was it that prevented sound from coming into the mainstream? The technology was difficult to get right. The synchronization and amplification issues were enormous. It took like two decades of wanting these characters to be able to speak and be heard until they could actually sync it properly. You're going to see in this scene from the long shot, Jolson's lips are not matching the song, but once they go inside, they do. But what made the jazz singer so important is that, yes, it was Warner Brothers' attempt to really bet the ranch on this new technology. And if it had failed, that studio would have gone under. Wow. But because it succeeded, it didn't succeed, you know, in a blockbuster way. It was a success. But it actually then, it was like a revolution in the way cinema would now, you know, strive towards sing sound. So the jazz singer was an incredible gamble and also a technological breakthrough. And it starred Al Jolson, who was an extraordinary star. Tell us a little bit about his impact. Al Jolson was somebody who actually was a hero to black America. He was a champion of civil rights. Whereas normally the orchestra was down in the pit and he had an all black orchestra because he was singing jazz numbers. He wanted them on stage with him as equals. He didn't want them in the pit. He actually sponsored the first play, a drama, ever written by an African-American that went to Broadway. It got there because of Jolson. And it was called Appearances. Interesting title. Jolson was somebody who with that voice, being as great as it was, stars in a movie that actually invents the genre of the musical. I mean, obviously, you couldn't have musicals up until this point, but because of this performance, you're thinking, wait a minute, a new genre, not just a star is born, a new genre is born. This was something that was actually, I mean, this was a revolution, this film, on so many levels. There's going to have to be a whole new way that people act now in movies. So Al Jolson introduced jazz to many people. Oh, absolutely. That You would have to say that. Now, this film was not a sound movie in every venue that it played in. It was only in the major metropolises that could actually afford the Vitaphone technology. So it actually was a, a silent movie for Beginning some people. <laughs> for most, most Americans probably did see it in a silent form, except those that en masse saw it in the major metropolises. But, uh, I mean, it caused a transition. As a result of this now, stars now had to be able to deliver lines. And this was something that actually cut short many careers. There was also a, a strong Jewish theme 
in this film? Was that in any way controversial or considered uh, avant-garde or outside the mainstream? Well, see, looking back, you'd think, wow, you know, here's a movie about a young man who doesn't want to be a cantor, wants to hang out in the clubs, sing jazz in blackface, and audiences embraced it. I mean, mainstream audiences, people who had no ties to the Jewish religion, had no familiarity even with Jewish individuals. They actually identified with this, this story because America is all about, right, coming from an old tradition, coming to a new land, trying to find your own voice, trying to find your own way. And it's going to necess- not necessarily be that you can do what you were, for the most part, rejecting over in Europe that brought you here in the first place. You're going to have to find a new path. And so a new path like this, someone that like stood his ground and really said, I'm going to devote everything to what I love. I'm going to follow my dream, the American dream. That was something that audiences absolutely found easy to embrace. Let's move on to I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, which came out just five years later. Right. Warner Brothers, same studio. And technologically, it's completely like a different generation. You look at it and go, wow, they certainly figured out ways of telling stories and syncing sound with the visual in a way that they hadn't before. Well, see, that's so important. The silent era was obviously story-driven. When it became a sound film, suddenly the movies became very static. They didn't have that beautiful narrative thrust that the silent films were, well, that was what they were known for. So what you're saying is, by 1932, what Chiang Gang does so well is that it marries sound to the tradition of actually telling a full-fledged narrative with a lot of scenes, with a lot of action, with a lot of things going on. And I would really say 1930 is where they kind of nailed it. And it's, it's shocking that they were able to, just within three years, when you think about it, go from, we're not making any movies with sync sound to suddenly most movies are now in sync sound. It's, it looks like modern cinema. So this movie is about a World War I veteran who, like so many war vets from overseas wars then and up to the present day, has a really difficult time adjusting to civilian life. Right. What's sad is that this scene is one that played out so powerfully in 1932, and it's, it's been something that audiences can relate to it ever since. Whether it's the Korean War veteran, the Vietnam War veteran, the Persian Gulf War veteran, those veterans back from Iraq and Afghanistan, yes, our combat veterans, they become this lost generation. Once upon a time, these guys were really valuable. When there was a war to fight, But now that the war is over, they're forgotten. Did this movie lead to any political change or any social protest? It did, actually. People were so upset that a veteran who was a decorated war veteran was so mistreated. Because remember, he's an innocent guy. Because the guy puts a gun on him, says, empty the cash register, he becomes an accomplice. And as a result, during this holdup that he had nothing to do with, he's sentenced to 10 years of hard labor in the chain gang. This is a movie that caused such outrage when they saw how these convicts were beaten, how they were abused, they actually wrote in those days their congressmen in the 30s, and they demanded change. Well, there was a conference of writers in the 1950s, and at the podium was the German playwright Bertolt Brecht. And a hand went up after he gave his talk, and the hand belonged to the Swiss dramatist Frederick Durenmatt. He said, Mr. Brecht, Is it still possible to dramatize the modern world? And Brecht just looked out 
And he said, yes, but only if the dramatist attempts to change it. I mean, that is what has happened to so many of us in the films that we hold the most dear. That is the promise, you see. That is the, the greatest possible promise of the cinema. And so there were laws that went on the books as a result of this film that was about real life. You know, art can reflect real life, right? But then real life can now take that reflection and do something that is actually beneficial to the society at large. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Let's fast forward more than 30 years from I Am a Fugitive on a Chain Gang and talk about a very different movie, The Graduate. I guess what's really important about this film is that young people in the 60s, really wanted to have movies that would speak to their generation. And there were very few being made at this time. And here comes this young guy, Benjamin Braddock, fresh out of college. He's not really sure what he wants to do with his life. When he's asked at his graduating party, what are you going to do now? He says, I think I'm just going to go upstairs for a moment. They go, no, but with your life, your future. He goes, well, that's kind of hard to determine at this time. You know, it's such a big, that's a big question. But um, they had the opportunity to say, well, you know, I want to sort of develop my own values. I want to be someone who pursues my own dream. Again, goes back to the jazz singer. Um, because all these themes just constantly repeat themselves. They always just resurface. You say in, in the one-day university lecture that the graduate changed America. How? There are movies that actually change movies. So every one of these movies change movies. But... It also actually changes society. This film is really single-handedly responsible for launching the sexual revolution in the 1960s. It actually really stoked the flames of 
that young population. And remember, in 1968, over half this country was under the age of 18. Over half the population of this country, under 18. This is really where the Hollywood studio system, it was fragmenting all over the place, didn't make it through the 60s. I mean, it really broke apart. Because television was siphoning off so much revenue, but also they were making movies that people really didn't want to see. I mean, they were still making movies in the mid-60s where, you know, Henry Fonda and, I don't know, like Doris Day, they got 12 kids, they go to the Cape Cod for the summer, and, oh, is this going to be fun? And, like, two people saw it, right? Because these kids were not looking for that kind of movie. And what made it also important was nobody had ever taken the music like rock and roll or pop music like Simon and Garfunkel and actually hired them to do the soundtrack. Mrs. Robinson was written expressly for the film. I remember being in the movie theater when this was released and being stunned by the music. The music was the biggest thing for me because Simon and Garfunkel were, yes, they were, they were making number one hits, but they were on the singer-songwriter folky end of, of popular music. And there it was as a soundtrack. That never happened before. Right, right. And that actually paved the way for Easy Rider which is going to be like a rock concert. Before we leave The Graduate, it was a film about the generation gap. Other films, too, that preceded it were about the generation gap. Rebel Without a Cause is about the generation gap. Because, again, what is the big fear in this, Rebel Without a Cause? James Dean. Yeah. James Dean, 1955. What is the big fear in The Graduate? Is that if I'm not careful, I'm going to become my dad or I'll become my mom. And to that generation... Kill me now. If that's going to be my future, kill me now. I don't want to live because, oh, my God. Whereas if you actually see, that might be what is so different about the movies today is kids today, for the most part, I'm not saying they aren't rebellious at times. Of course they are. They, you know, Everybody's rebellious, at it, but they're not rebellious in the way that that generation was. I mean, they just re wanted to reject everything. Yeah. It, everything from the fashion, everything. the yes. values, the music, you know, yeah. everything. The politics. They were... Because remember, the Beatles made it. They were in their teens when they were coming up. And they, they were making major contributions to music in their early 20s. And their best work, even after they broke up, they broke up. They were still in their late 20s, most of them. Everything that the Beatles did, their contributions, were that was like under the age of 30. That was an amazing generation when you think of what, what, they, what they did in such a short period of time. The next movie, the final movie, Jaws, directed by the great Steven Spielberg. There's an extraordinary musical buildup where just before the first person is attacked by the shark, it, it really is uh, one of the most memorable moments in film. Well, you'll say there are certain films where, like in Psycho, Bernard Herrmann's score, All Strings, steals the show. Obviously, John Williams' score in Jaws steals the show. 1976, 1977, uh, people didn't want to go to the beach. They, they were terrified to put a toe in the water. And so when you think about movies that affect behavior in a mass way, that is pretty phenomenal. What makes him different, Spielberg, is that he was the first generation of university-trained filmmakers. He, people like Scorsese, later Spike Lee, George Lucas, they're going to have this kind of love of the cinema, where they actually know what has come before them. They've studied it. 
You say in your one day university lecture that this movie with with its happy ending changed film. Jaws is very significant. I mean, Steven Spielberg, you know, he's a major talent. He has more talent in his little finger than most filmmakers would ever have in their whole body on a good day, on their best day. There's something about how this guy knows how to tell a story and then make it to his advantage. The shark malfunctioned throughout the shoot. Then instead of like pulling his hair out or letting it look fake, he actually said, well, we'll hide the shark. And that hiding of the shark was the masterstroke because it built up even greater suspense for when you finally do see it. No film prior to 1975 in the history of cinema had ever grossed $100 million at the box office. But Godfather, wow, it came close. Guess what? This movie not only crossed the $100 million threshold, it will make in its initial run domestically over $220 million. Wow is right. So it was so huge that they said, okay, we have got to figure out, number one, we've got to start endowing all these MFA programs. Because if this is what's coming out of these, these colleges, we got to get the next Spielberg. We got to, we got to nurture the next generation of Spielbergs. Wow. And of course there was Lucas too. Yeah. Lucas made just as much money with Star Wars and that franchise as Spielberg has made with all of his franchises. So you create a franchise and see, that's what this was the birth of. Cause you know, Star Wars was a franchise. Jaws became a franchise, but I will say this, all of those movies, right? Uh, happy endings. They make a ton of money, not just for their initial commercial release, but with all the ancillary products that they actually generate the towels, the lunch boxes, the, the video games, the action figures. And so there's so much money to be made. And what, what happened with Spielberg and Lucas, their success actually put the brakes on what was America's true golden age of cinema. Let me ask you about your one day university lectures. What are some of the or, or give me an example of a great question you've had from the audience. Wow. The most profound question is, why aren't there movies today that actually change America in the way these, obviously, you know, you made a pretty good case in the 1920s, the 30s. We went to the 60s, we went into the 70s. And, you know, you could go into the 80s, but where are they today? How do you answer that question? Well, the way you answer it is that cinema used to have heft. It used to have prestige. It used to be an event that you went to. And it was exciting to go to this darkened room in this big theater and this huge screen lights up. It can change the way I look at things. It can change the way I feel about myself. We want it to be transformative. We want it to be something that makes us a different person, a better person. You walk out of that movie And you walk theater. out of that movie just energized. Yeah. But see, today I'm not really sure if that is necessarily the case, because we are seeing them on our cell phones. We are watching them at home, kind of while we're doing the laundry, while we're ironing, while we're cooking. We're not really paying attention. We're kind of hearing it, sort of seeing it. Movies require us to really focus, because these directors that are really careful, they're putting stuff all over this canvas, and we have to pay attention. I'm Richard Davies. Thanks for listening. Sign up on our website, OneDayU.com, to become a member and access over 600 full-length video lectures from the world's finest professors. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.